one of the best parts about living on the boat was all these college students would come live aboard with us and they would live for either a weekend or a week. And my favorite conversations were the ones where, you know, I would ask the kids, I would say, okay, what's your big dream? What are you going to do? You know, what's your dream? And they would be like, well, my dad was a doctor and my uncle was a doctor. My grandpa was a doctor. So I'm going to be a doctor. And I was like, I didn't ask you what your parents and family did. I asked you what your dream is. And they were just like, I don't know. And I'm like, right. You can actually ask yourself these questions and you can start considering your pathway in life to see, are you on your path or are you on someone else's path? Bitcoin is a swarm of cyber hornets serving the goddess of wisdom. Are you or your loved ones looking to secure and manage your Bitcoin with confidence? The Bitcoin Advisor is your premier destination for professional Bitcoin management, helping you buy, secure and manage your Bitcoin so you can own intergenerational wealth and sleep easy. With a reputation built on unparalleled security, strategic planning and comprehensive client education, the Bitcoin Advisor team have managed over $1 billion in assets without losing a single Satoshi since 2016. Whether you're new to Bitcoin or a seasoned investor, the Bitcoin Advisor team are there to guide you every step of the way. So please click on the link below to organize yourself a consultation and include the name Carrie, C-A-R-R-I, in the referral code so that they know that I've sent you their way. I am so delighted to have with me today DJ Valerie B. Love, welcome to Bitcoin People. Woohoo! Aloha. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, everybody. Happy Aloha. I have listened to your music. I have danced to you in Miami after party 2023 this year, this year. Uh, and I have read some of your articles and I adore your creativity and I adore your music and your vibe. Uh, so I'm really just thrilled to have you here. Uh, Val, Valerie, DJ Valerie. All of the above. I have all of the above. Tell me about you. Tell me about your life. Tell me about some of the milestones in your life on the journey that have gotten you to where you are today. Wow. Well, first of all, thanks so much for inviting me and thanks for vibing out on the dance floor and being like, it's so fun. <laughs> Always my pleasure, I promise you. <laughs> Knowing that you were having fun and holy cow, what a great event to get to go be in Miami with everybody together. So I'm so grateful, so grateful for music and Bitcoin to bring us all together. I mean, what magic, right? And so, uh, I feel like, you know, your question is about like for all of us, like all these different turning points. And for me, music was a huge turning point back when yeah. uh, I was 28. I had a whole bunch of different ones, but, you know, I've always been into personal development and, you know, how to make the world a better place and become the best versions of ourselves, you know? And since I was 19, when I got uh, Ram Dass's book, I don't know if you can see it back yeah. there, but um remember I actually saw he was first on your list of influencers yeah yeah my, understandably as well he's my homie and uh he used to live at Maui too where I used to live and so yeah. you know just I I grew up in Detroit area and you know just never really had any spiritual practices we weren't religious we weren't into personal growth it was just like put your head down and work and that's what you're supposed to do and then you die 
And I'm like, well, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Does some more. <laughs> I think there's more, you know, and I, I went to college and got my degree in accounting and I got a job at Deloitte and Touche thinking like, okay, I'm going to go get my CPA and go be a lawyer and go save the world with law and all this stuff. And then I found Ramdas and it was one of those like, oh, there's more over here. I can like figure other pathways in life, you know? And so I just was really excited to get to know other choices that we have, you know, on planet earth as humans. And I ended up quitting my job at Deloitte and Touche and I became a sailing instructor and a U.S. Coast Guard charter boat captain. And I lived on a sailboat for three years and that was not in the agenda. And I'm the only person who's ever gone to college in my whole family ever. And they were just like, why did you go pay all that money? And now you're going to go live on a boat and teach sailing. I'm like, I know it's crazy, but I have this thing. Like I had this kind of epiphany out there on Lake Michigan when I was sailing. And I was just like, I'm supposed to say yes to this. And I don't know why, but I know that it's a yes for me. And my whole body was like nervous, but it was also super calm at the same time. And Cause I just knew I'm like, I'm supposed to go live on the water and, and, teach kids about sailing and learn about the world, you know, and freedom and choice. And so it was such a really interesting pathway that was, you know, I wasn't a sailor when I grew up, I wouldn't live on the water or anything. So it was just really like, almost like this past life thing kind of came through and plopped into my whole being, you know? And so one of the best parts about living on the boat was all these college students would come live aboard with us and they would live for either a weekend or a week. And my favorite conversations were the ones where, you know, I would ask the kids, I would say, okay, what's your big dream? What are you going to do? You know, what's your dream? And they would be like, well, my dad was a doctor and my uncle was a doctor. My grandpa was a doctor. So I'm going to be a doctor. And I was like, I didn't ask you what your parents and family did. I asked you what your dream is. And they were just like, I don't know. And I'm like, right. You can actually ask yourself these questions and you can start considering your pathway in life to see, are you on your path or are you on someone else's path? Right. And so that to me was such an eye opener because I got to experience it myself. And then I thought, wow, what if we got to go open up other people's hearts and minds and souls one at a time? And I thought, wow, being on the water is such a transformational location, you know, cause you look out, you don't see anything. You're like, you can go anywhere, you know, yeah, and yeah. that's cool. Um, so that was such a deep embedded, you know, program that I, I got coded with, right? Like freedom mm -hmm. is great. You can have choices. You don't have to go follow the old way and the status quo. And so I lived, you know, the next three years on this boat, started studying holistic healing and wellness also. And, you know, I was moved to San Diego and then I was like, okay, I don't know anybody here. I'm just going to go to this holistic healing school and learn about acupuncture and acupressure and all these things and wellness and yoga. And so I was like trying to do sailing and be my charter boat captain. And it was like, Oh, I'm having a hard time making ends meet, you know? And one of my clients was like, well, why don't you just come back in my office and you can, you know, start doing the books for us just a little bit and just to make ends meet. I'm like, sure, I'll do that. And it was just one of those like, I'm wearing mm. pantyhose in an office and I'm shrinking. And it was not much. 
but it was like steady money and I was paying the bills, but I still had this itch, you know, and I'm like, something's not right. Like, I know I'm supposed to be doing something else with my life. And I know I'm supposed to be doing something at scale, you know? And I realized like, what can I do? You know? And I thought, oh, I'll go back and get my my master's degree and I'll start teaching kids about personal development and their dreams and how to have freedom and all this. And I'm like, that's not scalable. That's only 30 people in a classroom at a time. That's still too small. And just somehow I'm on fire energy. And I'm like, how can we, how can we use our gifts and ignite lots and lots of people? That was always been my, my vibe. And so I was just really, really discontent and still feeling just kind of like, this is, I know there's something, but I don't know what it is, you know? And I'm just like, and so I'm making great money. He keeps promoting me. I'm like running the office and running the money in the office and basically a CFO of this company. And I'm like, this is not my life. I'm supposed to do something else, you know? And my girlfriends and I'm an old deadhead. I'm from Detroit. I like Motown and rock and roll, you know, and I like all kinds of music. And my friends kept trying to take me to these techno shows, which were horrific. It just sounded like one song for two hours. No, (laughs) Stupid. Like stop taking me to these clubs. They have no soul, you know? And I went to Las Vegas for the first time and, um, they took me to this club called club utopia and they gave me some ecstasy and they're like, come on, we're going to go dance. And I'm like, okay. And so all (laughs) I'm like high on ecstasy for the first time. And there's this little group called dub tribe and there's moonbeam and sunshine on the stage. There's these two hippies from San Francisco and they're drumming and singing and DJing. And this girl has got this angelic voice and she's just like, Uh, you are beautiful you are perfect just the way you are and she kept singing it again and again and again and i'm just like no i'm not i'm ugly i'm horrible i don't have my life together i don't know what i'm doing i suck i suck and that was the program that i was running and her Mm. voice and the music and the vibe and of course the medicine was all working and working it was just like And it just got into me. And finally it was just like, maybe I am perfect just the way I am. I don't have to go change to, to please anybody. Everything's okay. And then something within me just sort of shifted. And I'm like, wow, there's like 5,000 people in the room. I wonder if anyone else had that experience. And then I thought to myself, I'm going to be a DJ. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was just like, holy shit, this is how I can reach people like Bob Marley, get up, stand up, John Lennon, imagine, right? You think about the consciousness shift that music creates at scale and it transforms who we are and how we are and how we operate moving forward. So I was just like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to be a DJ. I grabbed my girlfriend. I was just like, dude, I'm going to be a DJ. We're going to go all over the world, raise the vibes. And she just sort of looked at me because she knew I was really struggling for at least a year or two, you know, and she could just see like, I believe in you, Val. Like, I believe in you. I believe you're going to do this. And so thank you, Becca Rio. I love you so much. And uh, so just having somebody believe in me and knowing like, okay, I have no clue how to DJ. I don't know anything about this, but I do know that like, what she just did to me, I want to help do to other people. Yeah. You know, and so I was like, yeah, 
And so I just had, that was like the epiphany. Like I had an epiphany on the water for sailing. I had an epiphany for this music and I was like, oh my God. And it's really funny because I ended up DJing, traveling all over the world for five years. And we got to have this group called Valerie and the Vibe Tribe, which was hilarious with stilt walkers and aerialists and costumes. And we were just like, okay, what's our budget? Okay, cool. We're going to spend it on performers and costumes and that's it. You know? So we were just like totally these like poor artists, but we didn't care because we were making a difference, you know? And uh, it was so much fun. And I ended up meeting my husband, my ex-husband now. Um, he, we DJed in that same exact club in Club Utopia a couple, two years later. And, and it was maybe three years later. And it was one of those like full circles and him and his friends were there. And uh, my dancer, you know, went out afterwards and she was wearing some crazy costume and they're like, what are you wearing that for? And she's like, we're with Valerie and the Vibe Tribe and blah, blah, blah. And they exchanged business cards and he ended up booking me to come DJ at his big housewarming party in Lake Tahoe. And five days later, he asked me to marry him. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm mucking about. <laughs> so we ended up staying married for 14 years and have two amazing kids. But I put my headphones on the shelf for to be a mom, you know, because I'm like, yeah. I can't go travel and go do this whole thing. I mean, I wasn't like some big superstar or anything where I had like, you know, nannies and handlers for my kids so I could go DJ. So I was like, well, I'm going to be a stay at home mom and I'm going to take care of my babies, you know, and then Divorce happens and then Bitcoin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and divorce happened and then Bitcoin. I love how quickly that all just got shot out there in uh, in in five seconds or less. So you're going to have to give us that corollary to the story. You're going to have to give us the follow up. Tell us about the divorce. Divorce can be shattering. Um, oh, and oh. then did was Bitcoin kind of um for me bitcoin socially uh as well as uh physically in terms of what it is the protocol that the hope it gives to the world is was a savior at a time of not quite despair but darkness for yeah. me it was only more it was more recent i think i perhaps uh first stumbled across it in 2020 didn't really separate the Bitcoin story from the crypto story till 21. Mm -hmm. uh, and then... How did you separate it? What was your tipping point to separate uh, it? My it? It was a process. Uh, and then there were a number of, um, there were a number of influencers. My cats decided to come and join us. <laughs> she never does this during an interview. I'm not surprised she has done for you. Come and say hello to the world, cat. This is Pebbles. <laughs> What's your name? So, um, so for me, uh, Breedlove was really influential in the early days in particular. Uh, Eric Voorhees, Okay. was a really big influence at one stage but for me it was about I'd been in lockdown I'm in Melbourne Australia so we had the longest kind of harshest lockdowns in the world okay. uh, I had a very different view from all of my friends and family and we you and I are going to talk about this a little bit more when you get into your Bitcoiners dilemma article that I really want to discuss cool. but 
I faced that dilemma at that time. I knew I was being lied to. I knew I was being bullied. I knew there was something really wrong with what was going on. And I was very alone in that for a year, year and a half. And I actually started this podcast in order to meet other Bitcoiners because I didn't know how to meet them. Uh, and in fact, before that, so my very first encounter with other Bitcoiners was Miami 2022. We had just been released from jail here in Melbourne. I came charging over. I met 35,000 Bitcoiners all at once. <laughs> and I also came actually somewhat for the after party because that was the year of Dead Mouse. And I'd been a Dead Mouse fan for decades. And oh, this was my opportunity not only to connect with Bitcoiners, but to see Dead Mouse at the same time. Are you kidding me? Like it was just all the stars aligned. And but then I came back to Australia and I still didn't know anybody here and I didn't know how to meet them or connect with them. And so I started the podcast. Uh, and so it's been a slow evolution of coming out of that quite dark place physically, mentally, emotionally, socially. It was a very difficult time for me. And so Bitcoin was somewhat of a saving grace. And I've had that experience before via a number of other avenues, some of which I think you and I share, mm -hmm. um, as well as, uh, you know, through motorcycling at one stage, that was a saving grace for me out of a difficult time. So I've had a number of kind of experiences like that. So uh, talk me through divorce and Bitcoin. Were they at all related? Was it, almost as you said that, was did Bitcoin come as a saving grace from the dark times of divorce or just no, no connection? No connection. And, and okay. but it, 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 cause it was the divorce was about seven years ago. And I just kind of fell into Bitcoin a couple of years ago during COVID also. And so similar, I think you and I have pretty similar timings, probably 21 ish, I think. And I started the podcast because I wanted to learn and meet Bitcoiners too. Cause I'm like, I don't know anybody, but I, I had gone to, um, so, okay. Two, two totally separate things. So divorce, everything's falling apart. And so who, for your listeners, you know, Midlife crises, crises are real. Hormonal changes are real. Questioning, is this my beautiful house and my beautiful life is real. All <laughs> of that happens, okay? And so yeah. what I realized, you know, at the age of 46, it was like, oh my gosh, I have been in autopilot slowly, slowly, slowly saying yes to my no's and no to my yeses thinking that I'm being this dutiful wife and this dutiful mom and, you know, the PTO president and all this stuff and being the social organizer and I'm the best mom ever. Duh. And, and I slowly gave away me, you know, even though I had little bits of me in there, I, I yeah. slowly, I was like, wow, I'm in everybody else's service except for my creativity, me, my mission, you know, and I've always been like, like I said, somebody who wants to make a difference on a bigger scale and then going into motherhood is like, you're in micro mode, you know, and, and you're in like taking care of these little humans. And so, and by choice, of course, that's what I chose to do. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't have to work at the time. And so I was like, I'll be a mom and stay at home until they go to school. And then I'll start slowly getting back into the world. Right. And it was just this, like, I was just a distorted, contorted version of me. You yeah. know, and 
I started having a sexual reawakening in the middle of my life. And I was just like, oh, wow, I want to like explore more and I want to be kinky and I want to do all these crazy things, you know, which I was doing prior to marriage. And I was this super faithful, dutiful wife. And then it was just like, oh, no, I'm getting old. Am I going to miss out if I don't start, you know, enjoying right now? And my husband was just like, oh, shit, (laughs) he was not into it, you know? And so just a lot of layers of of things led me down to this place of snapping, you know, and I was drinking like a sailor and trying to self-medicate and numb myself out because it was just like, this is just a phase. I'll get over it. It's okay. We ended up moving from Hawaii to Boulder, which is super cold and doesn't have an ocean. And so I was like, I'm depressed. And I fell into some dark, dark, dark depression. And I never understood other people when they were depressed. I was like, just look on the bright side. It'll be fine. Like what's wrong with you? Don't you know, like everything's great. And I used to have that like attitude until I was the one that was dark and underneath the clouds and underneath these like wet blankets of red wine every single day, you know? And I was like, holy shit. Now I have a lot more empathy and, but I also felt helpless and hopeless and trapped. Mm. Oh, and I didn't know what to do. And I thought, well, I'm just going to, I'll wiggle my way out of this. I always do. I'm strong. I'll figure it out. And it just kept going worse and worse and worse. And the worse I felt, the worse my behavior was, the worse my behavior was, the worse I felt. And so it was this dark, ugly spiral, you know, and I had so much shame. I was like, just consumed with shame and embarrassment. And I was this new person in Boulder here. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't want everybody to know what a shit show I am. And so it just went into this like, um, you know, uh, to the point of getting to rehab, a suicide attempt, all this horrible stuff that was very dark. And, you know, my ex-husband, God bless him, I still love you, but he went through a dark time too and was pretty abusive toward me because he didn't know what the hell to do. And so it was this like, ah. And we've repaired, thank goodness, you know, because we're parents and we need to do that for our kiddos. But I'm here by the grace of God, universe, spirit, whatever you choose to call it. But I knew my mission wasn't over here on planet Earth, you know, thank goodness. And so just anybody who's listening, you're not alone. Like if things are not going well, it can be a perfect storm. You know, a lot of times people will have a health issue and they'll struggle. Sometimes they'll have a relationship issue and they might be struggling. Sometimes they might have a money issue. They might be struggling. Sometimes something legal will happen, something with their family, something when they're all compounded and layered right next to each other, you know, there's the stress scale, you know, and so they talk about the death of a child or a spouse or moving. It's like when you have a whole bunch of those checked off all at the same time, I was dealing with my bonus mom with Alzheimer's. So all of these things happened. And I think about how, you know, Rocky could be the strongest fighter in the world, but if Apollo Creed is like hanging out over him and just punching him and not letting him get up between punches so he can just take a breather, he's screwed. Okay. And so we're no different. Nature is no different. Every single organism on planet earth has a snapping point, a breaking point, you know? And, and I learned that the hard way, you know, and because of the shame, I didn't want to ask for help, you know, and I, I grew up, you know, being told that it's weak to ask for help. Well, it turned out it almost made my kids lose their mommy and that would have sucked. And so if you're struggling, anybody who's listening, it's like, it's okay to ask for help. It's a sign of strength and it's a sign of power, you know? And so 
and reach out to me if you need to, if you're struggling with anything, like my DMs are open on every channel. And so, um, but it's scary and it's lonely, you know, when you're in recovery from this and people tell you you're sick and you're going to be sick forever and you have a disease. And I'm like, I don't buy that shit. I'm like, I, I believe I'm not supposed to go drink alcohol again. Cause that's not good for me, but I don't believe that you are perpetually a diseased human being. If you went through something. Absolutely. I'm pleased you, know you said that. Yeah. And I, agree. I feel I like a way to keep people down and I'm not interested in that. And so I'm all, I'm highly interested in empowerment and empowerment for change makers and people who are on a mission to make the world a better place, like Bitcoiners, like creatives, like entrepreneurs, like activists, you know, and it's like all of us change makers and potential change makers and change makers in training, like we need to have exquisite self-care and we need to have a system, a holistic system. You know, it's one thing to go, I'm going to take care of my health, but I'm not going to neglect my money. Uh -uh. Because if you're over here feeling broke, you're going to act differently than you are when you're feeling stable financially, vice versa. If your relationships are doing great, but your health sucks, you know, it's going to bring your relationships down. So everything touches each other. They're all interconnected. Right. And so I created a system after this whole breakdown, because I'm just like, how the heck can I keep track of all these areas of my life and make sure I don't let anything fall through the cracks again. And so I created this 11X model and it's very important to me to be like auditing myself a lot and making sure that I'm looking at like, what's the ROI of love? What's the ROI of investing in each of these areas of my life, right? The ROI of love. I want to be remembered when I die for love. Don't you? Everybody does. So why aren't we spending more time becoming exquisite lovers and all areas of our life. So that's what I'm on mission to do right now. And so I'm working on this little project and yeah. So this episode of Bitcoin people proudly brought to you by BitRefill, your one-stop shop for living on Bitcoin and lightning and building out the Bitcoin economy and the Bitcoin standard world we would all love to see come to fruition. They've got all the best gift cards like Amazon, Apple, Bunnings, Airbnb, Uber, and much more. Coles and Woolies for your groceries, Bill Fairies to pay your bills, BP and Ampol for your petrol. You can do your hotel bookings or top up your phone credit or buy a gift or phone credit for a friend or loved one overseas. So check them out today, bitrefill.com. And remember to include Bitcoin people in the referral code for 10% Bitcoin back on your first purchase. I love the ROI of love. I am going, that's going to stay with me. I am, that's going to resonate through me. Uh, when did Bitcoin come in? Like a couple of years ago. So I had gone, my girlfriend brought me to a blockchain conference and this was like five years ago. And I was just like, you know, and Steve Wozniak was there and all these, you know, big shot people. And I'm like, so you're just telling me that people just sort of make up a money and they say, here's some money and I'm just going to give it to you. I'm like, that sounds like airline points to me or monopoly money. This seems stupid. And she's like, no, it's great. It's crypto. It's going to save the world. And I'm like, no, thanks. And so I just lumped Bitcoin in with it because I didn't know any better and stuck it on a shelf mentally. And then a couple of years later, when I'm creating this whole 11X model, I'm in the money zone, you know, and in, in the money section. And I'm kind of like, well, I'm not a billionaire. I'm not a millionaire. 
how am I going to learn to be more, you know, proficient with money, even though I've started some companies with my ex-husband that are really successful because he's a great executor. Um, I was like, what is this Bitcoin stuff? What is this crypto? So I started learning again. I got into it because of Beeple's sale, that, that NFT sale. And I'm like, who the hell is going to pay $69 million for a JPEG? Like, I got to learn about that, you know? And so I started researching and I'm like, oh, this could be great for musicians and artists and creators. And maybe we can get the middleman out and not only get like 0.0000013 cents for a Spotify play, you know, as a musician. And so I was excited because I thought it was a tool for the future for creators. And so I went down that rabbit hole, you know, learning about Bitcoin at the same time. But then when I got to hear Alex Gladstein and his interview talking about, you know, um, Oh gosh, what is her name? Moira. Human Rights Foundation and Global South. And and so I got to go listen to that. I went to the the Oslo Freedom Forum in Miami when it was oh, during right. the lockdown. And it was just like, oh, I need to learn all about Bitcoin and screw all this stuff. And it was just my total switch of, oh, wow. I didn't realize that like, if you don't have sound money, you are in slavery. And you are in these regimes, whether it's here in the United States with the dollar or any other regime, like you don't have the opportunity to engage in transactions cross-border. You're getting constantly debased, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And then when they locked down the um, the bank accounts of the truckers in Canada, yep. that was another one. And I'm like, the, what? That was and a moment in history. People donating to the truckers. That's where I was just like, mother trucker. I don't think so. And so yeah, (laughs) that and I I think these are going to be two. that one just um, sorry, as an aside, but that and the swift accounts of the Russian oligarchs. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Between the two of those, I think that changed everything. Yeah. For me, the fact fact that these things happened and everybody's not using Bitcoin is still, it's like, we have so much more education and awareness to create. And obviously the powers that be are not excited about Bitcoin coming forward and usurping the fiat system, you know, because then they don't get to have their, hi, I'm going to put a zero at the end and give all this money to my friends. And so obviously we're up against a huge machine that funds war and is, is perpetuating violence everywhere, you know, and there's a lot of people who want to keep that machine just oiled and running. While yeah, the rest absolutely. And they've got the momentum um, and they've got the power for the yeah. moment. Um, and, and, but there will be a tipping point. There will uh, be a tipping point. And, and when, when all this started happening, it was right about the time when they were sharing that, like, we printed, you know, printed, you know, 40% of the money supply in the last 18 months. And I saw yeah. that. That's impossible. That can't be right. Like, no way. And I started researching and I'm like, so that means my purchasing power of the dollar that's sitting in my bank account just went down and you just stole by 40%. Yep. And I'm just like, how is that legal? <laughs> you know, I couldn't understand. Yeah. How could that even be the system that we've been, you know, uh, bought into and subscribing to? And so that all these little touch points that were just like nails in the coffin, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, I have to learn all about Bitcoin as much as possible. I'm not a trader. I'm not some big finance person or a techno, you know, or a crypto or 
cryptographer, you know? And so I'm just like, how's little old me going to learn about this? And how can I actually share with other people, you know? And that's when the podcast kind of came up and I'm just like, well, I can talk to the music and peace lovers and all the hippies out there and try to help them understand, like, if you don't use sound money, you're, you're promoting slavery basically, you know? And it's just in, in your own slavery, not just everyone else's, your own. And so it, it's just been this like, wow, I, I know that this is a tool for change for the future and for now, but it's it's taking time for sure. It, it's interesting the creators haven't picked up on it. As you say that, you kind of go, so many people in the arts and in, in the creative spaces are in it to make a difference for the world. And it's interesting that that connection hasn't fully clicked for a lot of them yet, but it will, it will. Uh, let me just read this out because I, I also I, know I, that you're, yeah, please. I, I just comment on that because the the problem is, is there being sold shitcoin NFT scam things. Right. And so that's what I run up against when I'm talking with my artist friends is, is like, oh, well, I can go make an NFT and I can sell it to my community. And I'm like, that's really cool. And what's it worth now? Like you just jilted your community 12 months ago and you pocketed that cash and now they're not worth very much. It's one thing if it's just like, hey, buy my art and you're supporting me and that's really cool. But if these people think they're holding on to some super token that's going to go up in value over time and the reality is they have a JPEG and it's not, you know, you, you as an artist, I think are responsible to communicate to your audience, especially if you're engaging them with this stuff like how this works. And I just think there's not enough education of the artists because they're getting sold, you know, the rug pulley coin stuff from the shit coiners, you know, and that bothers me a lot because yeah. they're getting uh, you know, ripped off. I hadn't and then, understood that at all. Uh, yeah. It's just, and everyone gets excited because it's like, Ooh, look at me and my Lambo. And I'm like, yeah, there's like seven of you. And then the rest, everybody else is screwed over here. That doesn't feel like a good thing, you know, to be a part of. So, so I don't know, to me, we have still a ton of education to, to do with, you know, musicians and artists and creators, even activists, they're trying to do all this crypto stuff. Like we're going to put green carbon credits in this and we're going to do that. And it's just like, oh God, you know, don't pay people who are in indigenous communities with shit coins thinking that yeah. you're helping. And so that's a part of what I do now. I consult, I'm, I help with creative consulting and I try to help people like don't, don't go this way. Let's learn and go over here a little bit more. So, uh, sorry, I just had a plot pop. Good on there. you. No, you've really got your work cut out for you there. And it's a shame. I think this is what I find, uh, pretty consistently is that people want to do good. People are well-meaning people are well-intentioned. People want to make a difference in the world but they don't have the information or the knowledge about what the cause of the problems are. Yeah. So they're all kind of up here thinking the problems up here at this actually relatively superficial level without looking down underneath at the money yeah. and the corruption of the money and how much that causes fix the money, fix the world, you know, fix the money, fix the, ins if, if you fix the money, it fixes the incentive structures. 
Exactly. And, and, and that fixes, I, I mean, it's not going to change everything. It's not going to be utopia, but it's going to, let's give it a try and see what's left. Yeah. It, it's, it's got so to true. fix 60, 70%. As, as a, as a hardcore believer in like, how can you work on yourself and practice love and do all of these great things out there in the world? If you are operating on Maslow's hierarchy of needs down here in survival mode, because your financial system is sucking a big bag of dicks, like you can meditate all day, but you are never going to raise the consciousness of anybody, including yourself. If you're always in that survival mode because of the system of the poisonous toxic fiat. And so until that clicked for me, this whole personal growth model over here, it was just sort of like, that was the missing link, you know, because you can do these things over here all day long, but it's like, you're still filling up a bucket with a hole in it, you know, and you're just going to keep pouring things in. And it was like the, 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 the hard money Bitcoin is, is the plug to the bucket, you know, and then now we can get full. And then now with our overflow, we can help the world. That's the thing. And so that's where I'm hoping to do some good. Lovely. And there is, it's, it's a real joints, join the dots moment when you kind of get that piece of the puzzle, isn't it? Uh, Bitcoin hasn't been all rainbows and unicorns for you. Uh, You've said here a couple of different things. So I love this article that you wrote about the Bitcoiners dilemma. I really resonated with it. It made absolute sense to me. Um, where are the, where's the quote? Okay. So the, the refrain you come back to, you must decide. So this is, you bring this up three times over the course of the article. The first time is corruption or truth. The second time down, you must decide caterpillar or butterfly. Third time, you must dis- you must decide incompatible versus aligned. Mm. There's a lot to be unpacked there. And then there's a further quote in that article, and I want to kind of add, uh, uh, talk about both of these, and I know you're limited in time and you've got mum things to do. Uh, mm-hmm. But I want to discuss this. Um, clearly, this decision has to be made, and, you, and you're very clear about as a Bitcoiner, you value truth, integrity, purpose, and love. So one would assume anyone listening, anyone who's a, a Bitcoiner or a, a potential Bitcoiner listening to this is making that or has made that decision. However, along your journey down the rabbit hole, you may have found your relationships drastically changing because people in your life think you are crazy and wear a tinfoil hat. Perhaps loved ones think you have joined a cult. This is my husband through and through. (laughs) Um, Tell me about your process of managing that, dealing with the world outside of the Bitcoin community um, and how how you keep yourself grounded and at peace and how you manage other people. Oh, great question. And right. It sounds like you can relate to this because it's, 100%. it's so lonely when you wake up, you know, like when I had my spiritual awakening with Ram Dass, I'm in Detroit. Nobody in Detroit knows who the hell Ram Dass is. Right. So they think I'm crazy and I want to burn incense and all this stuff. So I'm like, Oh God, I'm weird. But I knew in my heart, there was that vibration, that feeling of like, this is true. 
and and I'm going to keep testing it out and see making sure that it's true, not because I think so, but because I I'm testing it, I'm touching it, I'm practicing it, it's experience. And that same feeling was true for me with Bitcoin. And I love Bitcoin because it's math. It's just math. That's it. If you look at everything, how does this math work over here? How does the math of this system work? Does this math, is it fair? Da, da, da. Is it transparent? Can we audit it? Can we look at it? Is it hidden? All that stuff. So that to me is sexy. Love it, right? But my friends and family all are just like, you're a lunatic. And they really do. My None of them still, my kids, my ex, everybody thinks I'm crazy. They're finally starting to understand, like now that BlackRock is applying for an ETF, my ex is like, oh, maybe Bitcoin's not so bad. And I'm like, you know, you'll understand it when you understand it. And I've given them the, you know, key says the simplest Bitcoin book. I've given them Alex's book, the, um, which one? The check your financial privilege book. And what's the other one that he just wrote? It was about the IMF and the loans and all that. And uh, uh, yeah, hidden repression. Repression. Yeah. And so yeah. <clears throat> people are going to get it when they get it. You know, yeah. it's can't pull a flower out of the ground until it's ready. You know, I wasn't ready for those three years because I just pushed everything on the shelf. And so I just have to recognize, like, I'm just going to keep being me, living my truth, speaking when I can speak, you know, about it and do this podcast and make some content. And hopefully, you know, if somebody gets let up, I remember in the beginning, it was just this like, <gasps> the world is on fire and Bitcoin is a bucket of water and I have to share it with everybody right away. Hurry. And I remember Alex Stanza on Cafe Bitcoin. He's like, Val, dude, chill. Like, <laughs> it's okay. Everyone's not going to get it. You know? And he was like, you can put the bait on the end of a, a fishing pole, but you can't force the fish to jump on the bait. You know, you're just going to have to hang out there and go fishing and that's it. And so I was like, okay, okay, okay. But it's still that there's that sense of urgency that's inside of me yeah. because I do see the pain and the destruction and the suffering that's caused by the current system. Yeah. You know, the, people dying. I see health issues. I see the relationship issues, all of the issues that are interconnected. And yeah. because of this one piece, it's like, we, we have a solution. And so to not see it getting implemented quicker hurts me because I know that it is causing suffering at scale, you know? And so as mm -hmm. someone who's on a mission to, to spread love at scale, it's like, ah, look, <laughs> here's this tool, you know? And so so there's that, but that's, that's good. Cause that keeps my fire going in this drive to keep moving forward, like alive. Like it's never, nothing has waned since I've become a Bitcoiner. I'm still like, okay, how can we orange pill different audiences and help them understand why this is beneficial for them now and their future, you know, but not do it clobbering them over the head. And that's why I'm changing my podcast from Bitcoin peace and music to just my name. And I just want, cause I've gotten so many comments from people cause I was going to do the ROI of love. I was going to do love world, planet, love, all these things. And it's just like, just whatever. It's just going to be my name. I can talk about anything I want. And then I'm going to put Bitcoin in there a lot. But when I clobber everybody over the head, my audience kind of jumps back and they're like, Bitcoin is stupid. It's boiling the oceans and la la la. And no matter what I say, I've already lost the ability to have a conversation with that person, you know, yeah. and so I'm really shy. And so keeping it, my name is a little 
uh, hard to think, but it's like, okay, at least I can go in all 11 of these directions and talk about the project and talk about Bitcoin. I can talk about psychedelics. I can talk about recovery. I can talk about midlife motherhood, sexual reawakening crisis. I can talk about anything I want. And so. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. You know, you're not the only person to be making that comment. I heard Peter McCormack recently say that he regrets having the name Bitcoin in his What Bitcoin Did because it restricts him in terms of who he can talk to and who he, which what audience will listen. I'm right there with Bitcoin people. I'm going to come across the same thing eventually. I might have to just become people. <laughs> the people <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you want to stay focused on this message because the message is so important, but yeah. it's so like, oh, if I'm not even getting anybody to not only not open the door, but slamming the door and locking it forever, you know, I yeah. mean, not, you know, until some big thing happens, it's like, hmm, okay, I have to rethink. Not that I want to water anything down and try to be everything for everyone because that doesn't work. But so. I'm realizing like I'm really alienating a lot of people who I think could possibly benefit from some some gentle understanding of of what Bitcoin is and how it can help the world and hopefully help them. So beautiful. I love how everything you do is motivated by love and thinking about how can we get that message out there more broadly, more deeply and connect with. And there's a lot of us who really see Bitcoin as love. It is, um, and and you see it in in the religion. Just just sorry, um, sorry to interrupt, but you know, there's a lot of Christians in the space who see it an expression of Christian love. There's a lot of people who I think actually are very awake from a meditation point of view, and in terms of your kind of Ramdas spirituality, who also see Bitcoin as love. So it really seems to be an avenue and an outlet for love, no matter what your personal background in yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, that's what I think is so like, it's just so remarkable. So, you know, Tomer, Tomer Strolight. Yeah. He was working on the cyber opera with us and we started doing this Satoshi, the cyber opera. It's on the shelf right now because it's a bear market. Oh but, yeah. I've seen you talk about <laughs> it. Yeah. But, you know, he and I, I just love him so much, but we, of course, all of us are crazy Bitcoiners, but it's just like, it, it's for everybody. It does. Bitcoin doesn't care if you're Muslim, if you're Christian, yeah. if you pray, if you don't pray, if you meditate, if you're green, if you're purple, if you have a penis, if you have five boobs, Bitcoin doesn't care. It's just yeah. math and it's an, it's a ledger. That's it. It's a cool ledger to track value. No big deal. Everybody can use it. It's like, it, really? Oh my. And you can use it if you live on this side of this little imaginary line. Oh my gosh. Like, nothing like this has ever been created in this fashion. And so to me, I'm like, that's why I, when I did Bitcoin peace and music, I was always thinking like, what are these great unifiers to cause peace on earth? Music brings people together, right? We've had Woodstock. We've had these crazy generations of, of, you know, the EDM festivals now and burning man, you know? And I'm like, Bitcoin, I see as a similar tool as music to cause peace on planet earth and open our hearts and unite us. Okay, I had to go do that. <laughs> Lovely. Ooh. Are you doing Nashville this year? Are you going to, and next year, 2024, are you DJing Nashville? Yeah, I, I got invited to DJ again. <laughs> you did? Fantastic. <laughs> I am so pleased. I'm, I'm going to be DJing in Los Angeles at Pacific Bitcoin in October. 
And then I'm going to also get to MC and DJ in El Salvador for adopting Bitcoin in November. Oh, amazing. Good <laughs> so, for you, Don. Oh, that's gorgeous. That was uh, so great. Any final words to whoever might be listening? We need to wrap it up. You've got to go get back to, to mumming <laughs> one aspect of your very full and vibrant and diverse life. Yeah. Uh, if you had any final words, what would they be? I would just say, live your truth. Don't let anybody like tell you who, how you're supposed to be you know, and like, let your own unique light shine. Cause there's only one of you and there will only ever be one of you. And so be the most authentic version of yourself. That's like, that's the coolest thing ever that I got to learn. And it's made all the difference. And anytime I tried to, you know, fit into someone else's mold, like I did when I was having that breakdown and I kept going, it, it, it doesn't lead to very good results. <laughs> so so even though it might seem a little weird and your family might think you're wearing the tinfoil hat or whatever it is, it's okay. Rock your truth and and test it out and and experiment. That's the whole proof of work with Bitcoiners, right? Like see if this is a real you. If it is, great. If not, go to the next thing. And but like do your own research on yourself. Become like an investigator and 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 this project that I'm working on, I help people get their MEHDs you know, and like understanding yourself and who you are and how you operate and, and just being authentic. And that's like one of the best gifts you can ever give yourself. So yeah. And buy Bitcoin. Beautiful. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking this time. I know it's been difficult to fit in. Take care, be well, and I hope to meet you in Nashville next year. Yes, I'll definitely see you in Nashville. That's going to be great. All right. Aloha, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. What a blessing. Yay. <laughs> All the best. Ciao for now. Bitcoin is a swarm of cyber hornets serving the goddess of wisdom. I think it was a Monday morning. And in those days, I would get up at like 5 or 5.30 in the morning and go to the gym. And I had done that. And... When I got to the gym, for whatever reason, I tweeted out something funny about, oh, it's another Monday and we've still got, you know, block size wars in front of us for the whole week. And, and apparently, you know, the attacker saw that and made the assumption that I had just rolled out of bed. And so, you know, I was going to be at home for the next hour or so. And so they decided, you know, like 7 a.m. was the perfect time to strike. And so I was coming home from the gym and I run into a roadblock, you know, stop and talk to the cop. And they're like, oh, we have a potential active shooter incident. <laughs> and so I, of course, got uh, pretty concerned. It wasn't uh, until, I don't know, took like another 20 or 30 minutes or so uh, before we realized that you know, they were actually looking for me. They were, you know, at my address.